Okay, can someone shut those dogs up in the background? <laughs> I don't even think those are my neighbor's dogs. I'm fairly certain. No, wait, those are my dogs. <laughs> Hopefully, he doesn't try to reenact old Yeller. Oh, he has two puppies. One. <laughs> my wife, my wife is over here and just heard me talking about old Yeller, and she's just looking so sad. I'm debating whether or not we should keep this in the actual podcast. Little I, Rock, old Yeller, does. I yeah, they did. Took us out behind the shed and just shot us. They're barking at the they're barking at the neighbors. The neighbors are kind of rednecks. I don't know. Well, you are in Texas. I know. I know. That's that's just like saying I have neighbors. Yeah, but there's actually people here. Yeah. I thought you were gonna take hey. care of them. They're getting louder. There we go. Mine, are, gone. Mine are all inside now. Mine are all inside. How is that better? Oh, there goes a cat. Yeah, I'm back. Jesus, do you like own a shelter or something? We have three dogs and three cats at the moment and then we usually have a rotating fourth rest or foster dog but we're currently uh foster dogless so actually the number of my animal house animals has decreased i hope mine doesn't go quiet again why do you sound like an old german man when you say that <laughs> the theater <laughs> what? Oh, wow oh. i'm sober this time at least that's uh, that's progress Damn it, I forgot to open up my bottle of wine before this. Do it on air like uh, Drew. I could. Just drink it straight out of the bottle. Pretty sexy. Is there is there all... any other way to drink wine? Do I need to go all white girl for this or something? I can't get white girls to put anything in their mouth. Welcome to another edition of the Hammer and Rails podcast. Uh, I am Jumbo Heroes, talking to you as the lead since uh, we decided he's going to be very scared leader, right? Because he's Travis is not here, but he's also very scared of a lot, lot of things. So we're going to go with that because he's not on the podcast uh, today and he can't tell us not to. Plus, he's a Cubs fan and it's opening day, so I'm sure he's already drowning his sorrows somewhere. Um, so in addition to myself, we have got Juan is at Master Control uh, up in Michigan. How you doing, Juan? I'm hanging in there. Uh, so far, so good. Hopefully, the internet doesn't go out on me this time. Thank you a lot, Comcast. Well, yeah, Comcast is always a great, great company. We've also got Casey, who should be chilling in uh, God's country, West Lafayette. Yeah, this is awkward because Comcast actually sponsors my segment. Thanks. For oh, oh yeah, yeah, right. I forgot of all those uh, sponsorship dollars we have rolling in. Cable money. Um, and last, certainly not least, we've got Drew down in Texas um, wearing his cowboy boots and the cowboy hat. Uh, how is it going down there in Texas, Drew? Sitting around petting my cat. <laughs> the the part you didn't mention, like he's just wearing cowboy boots and cowboy hats. <laughs> right, <it>. right. <laughs> and well, petting my cat. I'd like to leave a certain amount to the imagination. You know, that's the wonder of the podcast. You got to just paint a mental picture for folks. So it's been actually, you know, considering it is the offseason and you would expect not a whole lot uh, to be going on. It is the Purdue basketball offseason. So as you've come to expect lately, there has been transfer news, though nothing, nothing really official, uh, but it's kind of unofficially official. Uh, Kendall Stevens will uh, look to transfer. He is exploring his options, but the release left it open that he could return. I think that would be rather tough for him to come back after announcing he was seeking to transfer but it is always that possibility so we'll start with uh we'll start with juan what do you think his transfer means for purdue i mean do you think there is even a remote possibility that he does come back i'd say the chances of him coming back are maybe 10 percent, perhaps i don't know i'm just throwing a number it's definitely less than 50 percent. i think we can definitely say that 
the one thing I'd be concerned about is if he does come back. Is is he coming back because he really wants to be back at Purdue, or is it because he has no other offers? I mean, it's kind of like if things aren't working out in your job and you go seek a new employer and you can't find anything, you know, is that motivation going to be there to continue working? And so I think the thing he needs to ask himself is what's going to be happening after he's done with basketball? Is he going to be pursuing a professional career? I mean, unless he explodes in that senior year, I doubt he's going to go to the NBA. But I mean, I don't know how the NBA works in general. So he has to consider, is it worth transferring to another school, possibly having to sit out a year just to play his last year of basketball? I think those are the kind of questions he's going to have to answer um, with that. But I really do hope he returns. Kendall was one of my favorite players. I mean, I I, I could say that for almost any player at Purdue, though. Uh, So I would really love to see him back in the black and gold next season. Yeah, what do you think, Casey? He's going to find a school. Like, if... There's no way that he's not going to be wanted by quite a few programs. I just wish we would do this normally. Have we heard of another player, like, maybe leaving? Like, not even going all the way and just saying I'm transferring? I can't think of a player that's like, well, I might transfer. Not really sure. Sure. Um, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't Sandy, when he announced he was leaving, wasn't it he was going to explore his options and he might come back, but everyone kind of knew he didn't. He didn't plan to. Can't remember. Uh, but I, I seem either. to recall something like that happening with him. It's a really weird situation. I think we've known it was weird all year. The fact that he wasn't playing towards the end and everything that happened with his friend and everything. It feels kind of right that he's going to leave, get one more year somewhere else, like a fresh start. He seems like a kid that needs it. His offensive game fits better with a more run and gun open system anyway. Um, him and Painter have never quite clicked. So it's almost like... It's sad to see him go, but it's probably the best thing for him. Drew, what do you think? I don't think he's coming back. Um, I think we left it open because I don't know. I mean, are there any options better than Kendall Stevens out on the graduate transfer market right now? I mean, if he played for another team, I think we'd be pretty uh, interested in bringing him in and trying him out. Um, I don't think he's coming back, but I think Matt would probably prefer that he comes back. Because um, right now we're a Dakota Mathias or a Ryan Klein injury away from having one two guard on the roster, which isn't ideal. I think it's just Kendall's a chucker, and he can shoot you into games, and he can shoot you out of games. And I think Matt saw a few too many one-for-nine performances um, where he was shooting us out of games. Sort of continue on with his playing uh, time when Dakota and Klein shoot less at a higher percentage, more inside the offense. So I think it's probably best Kendall find a new home for his final year. Drew, you brought up uh, the point of him being a grad transfer. Do we know that he actually is a graduate transfer? Because he only will be finishing his third year. And I know it's possible. I mean, look at IU. All their players graduate in two and a half years or so. Um, But I I don't know one way or the other if he's actually going to be a graduate transfer or if he'll just be a normal transfer who would either have to go down a level uh, and play immediately or if he would have to if he transfers sit out a year before he can play do any of you guys know one way or the other i have no idea i assume he's taking a lot of online classes to make that happen but yeah i would imagine they're gonna do whatever they can to help him out and i'm sure he can fast track his way through whatever he needs to graduate. i mean it just doesn't make yeah. sense it doesn't make sense for him to transfer if he's not going to graduate because i mean that's just another year sort of out there in limbo and it's not like he's going to improve his game that much from what when he's, I don't know how old Kendall is, 20 to 21 or 22 to 23 I don't. I don't know if that's fair to say. I mean, sitting out a year is a, 
like you can improve a lot and just from going to a school and having an extra year to learn their program i don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world for him to redshirt for one more year That'd just be a weird investment well, though, I think it for, depends. Uh, for a school for two 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 years invest two years of scholarship for I guess one year of playing would be kind of a weird investment. I don't know. You've got to expect a really big return in that second year for it to be worth it. And I'm not sure Kendall's that type of player. I think offensively he could be. One, Didn't I think it, Maryland just do it with Suleiman? I don't. I know. I mean, I. I know he got kicked out of Duke. I don't know um, right. I think he how many years out. he had left. Well, I assume, but I, I don't know. I mean, was this his only year? Yeah, it's a little different. Uh, I mean, first of all, Suleiman's this was a five-star, you know, McDonald's All-American who was putting up pretty good numbers at Duke, as you know, opposed to Kendall, who you know came in fairly touted but really struggled this year. But um, so I mean. Yeah, but he has a track record of two years of being a pretty super-duper shooter. Is he, though, um, really? So, I mean, is he a really... I always want to think that Kendall is, like, a great shooter, but then I always I look, look at his numbers from game to game, and he's so streaky from one game to the next or one half to the next. I mean, he shot 37% as a freshman making 64 threes, and then 38% making 73 of them as a sophomore. Those are legitimate perimeter threat numbers, and he takes tough threes yeah well, i just always feel like kindle either goes like three for four or like one for five yeah but that's most shooters so just to jump in i looked up Suleiman. he actually graduated from duke he graduated with a degree in sociology in three years and then uh came to maryland and was able to play immediately so i would imagine that is probably going to be the route kindle will take if he does find another home he'll take you know nine credits or whatever over over the summer um, well, here's the issue. If he can that. graduate. Well, here's the issue with that. Sandy was trying to. I pulled up the article here on when Sandy transferred, and he had a similar issue in that he had to finish up the classes over the summer. But the thing is, since he requested a transfer, Purdue was no longer required to pay for those courses. Yeah, oh, right, right. Big, I so I remember I that. that. I just looked this up. I haven't had time to do the follow up here and see what else happened or if they've changed this rule. So. I mean, for Kendall to try to push through and try to graduate by August, it might be a stretch here. Uh, I'm guessing Kendall's in a better situation to be able to pay for those classes, though. This is true. I mean, I don't know what the exchange rate is from Croatian to (laughs) American dollars. Well, I'm assuming Everett cashed some coin. Plus, you get, what, half off tuition for being the kid of a Purdue grad? Or maybe Croatia is in the and you know no? no his somebody in his family works for purdue right probably that i think that's what you're for you don't get oh, jack yeah. the kid of an alumni <laughs> that would be nice trust trust me my family knows that but i mean i think the the bigger issue and one that i know um juan can talk about a little bit because he looked up some data on this is just the number of transfers that we've had these last years under painter and we can discuss after kind of juan goes over the numbers <laughs> whether this is good or bad. I mean, you can look at it both ways, but Juan, do you have the numbers of, of how many transfers we've had? Yeah, so we're just trying to compare roster to roster to see if anyone left the program early. And the last offseason we've had, since the last offseason Purdue has had without someone leaving the program early, a scholarship player, that is, uh, was 2010. 
Um, so since then, 2011, Patrick Beatty left. He went to the football team. In Blessing. 2012, Johnny Hart and Kelsey Barlow left the team, although we all know Kelsey Barlow was kicked off the team rather than uh, leaving on his own will. And 2013, that's when you. this is when we had the most transfers. So that's when Sandy left, Jacob Lawson left, Anthony Johnson left, and Donnie Hale left. In 2014, that's when Ronnie Johnson left the team. Also, that's when Jay Simpson left the team, but that was due to his uh, heart condition. Right. 2015, it was Bryson Scott. Uh, and then 2016, Grant Weatherford and Kendall Stevens. Those are the scholarship players who have left the team early before completing uh, their playing time at Purdue. There's also Scott Martin. Well, yeah, I was just starting at the 2010 who was granted here. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I didn't want so to how go many back players, how many players total is that just in those last seasons so i think i counted it was 12 um wow and so that's in six seasons basically so it averages out to 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 an off season you know once you hear those names some of them you think oh i really would have liked to have that player around for a little while longer to see what they were capable of but and again not a knock on the person but are we really missing patrick Beatty playing basketball are we, you know, are we really missing Jacob Lawson and Donnie Hale? Do we think they would have made a difference on any of these subsequent teams after they left? I, I don't think so. There's got to be at least one player in there where you think maybe if given some time or um, a little different maybe attitude or different coaching, we could have gotten something out of them. Of course, Kelsey Barlow is the one that springs to mind immediately, but that was a whole other issue with an attitude and a, and a mesh on the team, but he was certainly talented enough to make a difference. He just couldn't, whatever, uh, get his head on straight. So that's a different scenario, but do we think all these transfers are good or bad for, for the program? I don't think you can lump them all in together because all of them all had their own little story to it. Like, it's not like there was one obvious thing that continued to happen. Jacob Lawson was not a very talented basketball player. Patrick Beatty was not even a basketball player. Barlow had issues with everything besides basketball. Even Kendall himself, this is a really weird issue because the friend dying, the not playing this year, how much is that tied into that? It's not like there's some problem with everything. It's just, you know, we kind of missed on kids and then we had new young, younger guys come in and fill in roles. So they just didn't see a space for him. It's never been like a top five or six guy that's left since Barlow and Martin. Other than Ronnie Johnson. Yeah, but that was also. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ronnie's probably off the, the court problem. Not. Yeah. Ronnie, out of all those you listed, Ronnie Johnson would probably be the one that I would say if he was on. If he had his head on right and was on the team this year, would have been, uh, you know, starting point guard. And plus, the team would have just been so much more saucy. Yes, we would have, the sauce level would have been much spicier. But who needs sauce yeah. when you have basil? <laughs> oh, all right, podcast is over. Podcast is over. Yeah, isn't it? It's basil, right? Or is it basil? basil. Well, he pronounces it basil, but yeah, basil, basil, whatever. I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. Basil, if you're listening to this, uh, sorry. I mean, if we had to make uh, a joke here at your name's expense, but uh, we're looking forward to <laughs> seeing you next season. Basil. That's why he does cooking with basil. He hasn't played in years, so we haven't heard, actually heard his name, <laughs> and I've just completely forgotten. That's how bad all of us are. Our <laughs> memories are fried by the internets. All these transfers gets into our next issue. Casey and I were having a rather <laughs> vigorous argument over our uh, group text about 
uh, whether Painter should take these newfound scholarships and take a flyer on a player. Desmond Bain was the player who got brought up because I think Travis uh, really loves his game. And that's, you know, that's fine. There's no problem with that. But I'm of the opinion that you need to just take that scholarship, put it in the bank. You can use it on the next couple recruiting classes rather than go out and get a reach that's going to theoretically be on your roster for four years. Now, given the amount of turnover, who knows? That person may be only here a year or two years. But I'm of the opinion that there's no harm in banking the scholarship and trying to find someone better. I don't think you have to use the scholarship just because you have it open. I would rather reward someone who's a walk-on, give them a scholarship for a year, rather than bring in somebody who maybe is not going to contribute to the team. So I know Casey is probably trying not to scream into his microphone (laughs) right now. So go ahead, jump in and let me know your feeling on the situation. I just think it's really dangerous just to bank it on the next year. If there is a kid that you think could develop into something when you have four scholarships available, especially when we're prepared to have a lot of turnover in the next, not after this year, but after the next year, when Swanigan might go out early, Edwards is gone. Haas is gone. You want to have some kids that have been in the program that can kind of be the backbone, whether they're, you know, elite stars or not. If you think there's a possibility that they mesh, you're only ever going to have a nine to 10 person rotation. All of the scholarships are not going to be used for guys that are absolute no brainers. And plus, there's no guarantee you can get them all. When you do invest in a kid young who might not jump off the table right away as a top guy, but you see like certain parts of his game that might fit. There is some value to that. And the time to do it is now when you do have four scholarships just lying around. And it's not like he planned on having four scholarships for next year. We've had two transfers this year. These are openings that we were going to use on, you know, Grant Weatherford and Kindle for the next two years. Well, Grant would be around for the next four. So you can't assume that Painter had a better plan for that scholarship already. And I think that's the biggest reason why Travis especially wants to get Desmond, because he does do some nice things. And he's a 6'5 long guy that, you know, can dribble and shoot a little and pretty athletic. And at some point, you are going to have to take some kind of flyer because, I mean, pretty much we're putting this entire recruiting class on one kid. Right. And I mean, I'll admit to my ignorance of... Desmond Bain's game or any other high school player's game. I do not watch high school basketball, you know, since I've been in high school or came home after, you know, a year in college and went to the one game where everyone in my hometown went over Thanksgiving break to <laughs> you, you know, you catch up with your friends who are in college. That is basically the extent of my high school knowledge at this point. So I'm not saying one way or the other that he's this particular kid is worth it or not but i think if you're taking kids just to take kids or taking kids just to say well he's got this skill that maybe in two years or three years he's going to contribute and he can be a good attitude on the team to me that seems like a waste if you know that it's not going to be used for a kid who's actually going to see the court now you don't know that well i would i think you can admit that this kid if you offer him he's not going to play much if at all next year right we're not we're not but that's what i'm saying that's the wrong goal well we no, no, no recruiting no. for next year i know but that goes to my my larger point is if you're recruiting knowing that this person is not going to play next year why not bank it and try to get someone who you believe can be a bigger contributor in the future. So you still have three other scholarships. You're not going to get five or six ready-made freshmen every year. At some point you have to have some experience. That's, and obviously that's crazy to think unless you're Kentucky. I mean, you know, and it doesn't always work out for him as you've seen. It, It seems like we're just saying, 
you have these left over might as well throw something at the wall and see what sticks but you never know what's going to happen in a year and two years with your classes and where you might need that scholarship so i think it's worth it to have the extra room i mean look at how purdue got biggie the extra scholarship kind of came up through because someone transferred we had the extra space we didn't have to worry about an oversign or kicking someone out or anything like that and we had that scholarship and that's why we were able to get him so you never know when a situation like that is going to happen but i would rather be prepared for a situation like that rather than have a kid who we really really want but have to just kind of say well you know you could go to prep school for a year and then we'll get you when you know that's not going to happen so i know my scenario is not likely but i would rather be ready with the extra scholarship just in yeah, case rather than getting it i i get that i'm saying there's for the no next way we two, have four players lined up that are all ready to say yes and are going to walk on next year like ready to play there's no way right but it's more than a one year and two year investment right. if you're getting this new kid it's, a, right, it's but theoretical more scholarships if you stay to open up. But I'm just saying, I don't see the point in giving a scholarship to someone who you don't think is going to be a key contributor and who, quite frankly, you don't know if they're going to contribute at all. You don't know for sure ever with any kid. These are 18, 17, 16-year-old kids. That's not what we're saying, though. If the kid could become a player junior, senior year, play 15 to 20 minutes off the bench, then that scholarship becomes very valuable because it's leadership. It's someone coming in that knows the system, someone that's been there. And that's what you bank on with kids that are on the fringe between really good or a diamond in a rough. Right. But how often does that work out? How I mean, often there's a ton of kids. For Purdue. How often does that work out for Purdue? You know, that's the same reason we took someone like Grant Weatherford, who transferred after a redshirt year. It's the same reason we took a kid like Jacob Lawson, who, after we missed out on Brandon Dawson, Painter was kind of like, well, this kid's really athletic. I'm just going to get him, and I'll be able to get him to contribute later on. And then he transferred. It's the same reason we took Donnie Hale, sent him to prep school to get bigger. Then he came here. Then he redshirted. And then he left. I mean, these are just recent examples of this idea of, well, we've got these scholarships. This kid could theoretically contribute in the future. Let's do it. And then all of those examples, they just... They weren't theoretical future pieces. Those guys were playing. Like, Lawson was supposed to be a power forward for us. Yeah, Lawson tore his Achilles tendon after we signed him and was never that freak athlete we signed. That's just one of those injuries that you don't come back from all the way. And so you took away that top-end athleticism. And, I mean, he wasn't bad his freshman year. And then and Donnie Hale is just a head case from basically from everything that I've read. He didn't even make it through whatever community college he transferred to. I think he dropped out there, too. So, I mean, those are sort of uh, different examples. I mean, we took a role. I mean, Marcus Green would be one of those players early on that Painter yep. took a Roll on. John Hart, even though he didn't finish at Purdue, <laughs> I would say would have contributed if not for injuries. And yeah, and he did win that Illinois game for us. The and I, would, game. I would argue if kids are going to like be this finicky and like if they're going to leave and transfer that quickly, if it doesn't work out, that's all the more incentive to take a risk. Because then you're not That's here. Fair. You don't get four years with them. If it doesn't like work, that argument. Years, they leave. That's fine. I like that argument, and I understand that argument. You, you can never guarantee what these kids are going to do. This is why, among 
a hundred other reasons that I could never be a college basketball coach because <laughs> you, you got to go watch these 14, 15 year old kids and evaluate what you think they're going to be in three years. And then you got to evaluate what you think they're going to be if they stay for four years in your program based on what you have now and where your team's going to be at that point. I mean, it, it must just be maddening. I can't even imagine going through all this. Well, the so, weird thing is, if you were a player, why would you ever accept a redshirt year then if you were a fringe player? I mean, that that's like the absolute, like what Grant Weatherford did is the absolute, unless you're going to move down a, a level, worst thing you could do because you have to sit out two consecutive years then. Yeah. And, and you lose a year of eligibility out of it. That's just a weird sort of thing going on. I, I guess the flip side is what we wish we would have done with... Uh... Ryan Smith, if you redshirted him his freshman year when he didn't need him, he would have actually been had two more years of or another year of being one of the best shooters in the country. Yeah, I don't think Ryan Smith was a fringe player. I mean, you know, I think we we brought him into play and he came with that reputation, whereas Grant Weatherford was, well, maybe we can teach him how to play basketball. I don't know. Grant had a lot of defense like. He had a lot of Kramer talk. Yeah, well, I mean, when you look at him and you were trying to figure out who he was going to be like, all defense, no offense, obviously Chris Kramer comes come, came up, and, and, I, and you know, Matt even mentioned Chris Kramer when he was talking about him. But That's a lot to live up to, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you almost ha- have to be, and Chris Kramer was not a bad, I mean, he was not a great, good offensive player. He just wasn't a shooter. That's yeah, out. he wasn't a shooter Everything else at all. he did well. Okay. I was just going to say, I mean, he generated his offense based on his defense. You know, he would get, you know, two, three steals a game that even if he didn't lay it in or dunk it, he was able to set up a pass to somebody who scored easy buckets or, you know, set up the offense and that turned into off with the defense set up the offense. So, I mean, he could do other things. Whereas, you know, from what I've been told and what I've read about Weatherford, he was going to be a real liability on offense now. Uh, and he was smaller. You know, could that so have proved? I don't know. Yeah, and he was yeah. smaller than Kramer, which that's huge because Kramer could guard pretty much anyone one through four. Yeah, and that versatility is big. Um, but one thing you guys are talking about, Marcus Green, I got to say, you got to remember when he was recruited. When he was recruited, Painter just needed players. You know, he just needed bodies at that point. So, well, I mean, we're only down to we're down to nine I'd say, players yeah. right now. So we we're kinda, not. We kind of need at least we need somebody either. You have to practice against or... someone. Yeah, or a grad transfer or a or another player because we, I mean, an injury away from being forced to play an eight-man rotation. I mean, we have, what, two two guards now and two small forwards? We're, we're too deep at every position, but that's Nothing. because Swanigan can play two and Edwards can play two different yeah. positions. But so, that's the segue. Exactly. So speaking of adding players... Um, obviously, the last couple of years, Painter has taken great advantage of the grad transfer rule. Um, and we have to assume he's going to try to do that again this year. Spike Albrecht is, of course, the name that that just recently came up. He had the, the hip injury uh, in Michigan um, and then supposedly ended his career. Uh, he's going to graduate. And then all of a sudden he's miraculously healed and can play basketball again. I'm kind of confused as to the scenario there, but um, he originally, of course, had the restrictions that he could not transfer within the Big Ten, but after some public pressure, Beeline uh, got rid of those. So now I'm sure Painter is going to be looking at him. 
the question is, would you want him uh, if if Painter was able to get him or some other grad transfer? I mean, the market for these people changes every day. So do you think there's someone out there that uh, Painter will land and it, would it be Spike Albrecht? See, I don't think Purdue is very attractive for any sort of grad transfer next year. The depth chart is pretty i mean that's why kindle's leaving is because the two position is too deep three position with basil coming back is too deep i mean you're not going to come in and you know take minutes away from klein or dakota you're not going to come in vince is going to play a lot and i expect basil to play a lot pj is uh, obviously entrenched as the starter at point guard and then you've got edwards coming in and i assume that he's supposed to be the future so you're going to see him probably play a lot. Uh, the only place it almost makes sense is, you know, a backup center uh, coming in. I don't see what Spike Ulbricht brings Pat over uh, where he fits in with P. He's got to play point guard, so where he would fit in with PJ and Carson Edwards as, you know, we're not going to play three point guards. I think that the minutes crunch of this team fits better with a guy that you would develop um, as opposed to somebody who's going to want to come in and play now. And I just don't see the playing time. Drew's absolutely right. We don't. The last thing we need is another short point guard. <laughs> we need we need length at guard or we need a big man. Those are because Carson Edwards is not big. He can shoot the ball, and we're going to absolutely need that. But if we're going to play him at the one, we have to have another tall wing, another tall guard. Johnny Hill was fine because he could play bigger than he was. But we're not going to be able to play, you know, Spike and PJ or Carson and PJ at the floor at the same time. If anything, we could use depth at our wing position now that Kendall's leaving. And actually, you kind of touched on it. We need a big man. Michigan's also like Doyle's transferring. If we were going to look at a Michigan player, he makes more sense for us than uh, another no. tall, tall little or little short point guard. No. I know Juan, not, Juan has that, feelings. Not, not Ricky Doyle. I mean, <laughs> he's a good player, but he struggles at the post. Like he, he simply did not have the stamina. Like he'd be out there for three minutes, and his entire face is covered in sweat. Like. He sweats more than I do in the summertime. We only need him for two minutes. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, like 10 but, minutes a game. But his yeah. play wasn't that great. And, I mean, you have to remember, Michigan wasn't that good in the post. Like, they did not have a good big man. And he fell down to third behind uh, Donnell and uh, the German Wagner came in in the is tournament. German? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Why did I bring that up? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, before the recording of the podcast, Casey tried to do a, a little bit of a German accent there. What do you mean try? <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but here's the thing with Spike. He's not that great of a shooter. Like last year when he played, he was only 35 of 94 from three. So that's 37% and not that high of a volume. I mean, but last year's a terrible time to take because, I mean, he, he wasn't even starting for Michigan in his last, like the three games. The 2015 season? 2015, 2016, or? No, like okay. his last full season. Okay. Like I... he's never been like a prolific outside shooter. He's one of those shooters that can just explode out of nowhere, too. I mean, my biggest concerns with Spike is his injuries, and Purdue has had enough injuries. I mean, all he has to do is trip on the sidewalk, and he could be done with his basketball career forever. Here's um, my hot take. Carson Edwards take. is better than Spike. Hot Albert. take alert. Woo, woo. 
Carson Edwards is going to light Mackey on fire. He's going to start halfway through the conference season, I think. Oh. Over PJ. Wow. Like, I was, like, on board with you. I'm like, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing. And then we said the starting thing. I'm like, whoa, I need to step back here. He is going to light the place on fire. His jump shot off the dribble is smooth. And he's probably more athletic than PJ. Well, I mean, that's not Doesn't a big right. <laughs> right. But we have to have a playmaker up top. Like, I think we saw that this year. Like, we just there have has to have to a playmaker. Be, unless Basil's been really working on this recipe. I don't know. Did you guys watch any of the NCAA uh, the tournament games yesterday with no. uh, Villanova and North Carolina? It's just amazing how much better an offense looks when, like, all five guys have to be accounted for as opposed to two of the five guys, like a lot of times we played this year, who was just totally ignored on defense. I mean, I know they were playing against Syracuse, but the fact that North Carolina—I'm sorry to turn this into a quick North Carolina blog, but the fact that North Carolina could go the first 30 30- 30 minutes of the game, not hitting a single three-pointer, but still destroying Syracuse was just amazing to me. Like, that was the epitome of what I expected out of Purdue. Like, oh, our guard play is terrible. Let's just have Hammonds and Haas go crazy in the post. But that's just Yeah, me. I see their guard play is not terrible. Like, our, I say like, their point guard is one of the best point guards. Oh, no, no, no. They yeah, just could shoot shooters, efforts. and if they're not shooting, they're terrible. Um, North Carolina's guys are big athletic guys that can yeah. go in and, and – score in the uh, you know drive to the basket if if pj isn't hitting his jump shot he's it's not like he's going to score at the rim if dakota is not and Klein aren't hitting their jump shots they're also totally you know worthless on offense so north carolina if they're not shooting they can take it to the rim still for with us if we're not shooting we're not i mean we don't have a lot of other fallbacks for our guards right and this That's is true and North Carolina got a lot of points off some Syracuse turnovers and fast break points. So that's a big difference there, too. Half of being effective on offense is just like having the threat of being good. Like whether you have a good shooting night or not, whether you're someone that gets respected in all those areas, that's what matters. And we have too many guys that can just literally you can ignore certain parts of their game. Like you don't have to worry about PJ driving. You don't have to worry about Dakota or Klein driving. Like we have too many players that only do one thing well. On offense. Okay, can someone shut those dogs up in the background? <laughs> I don't even think those are my neighbor's dogs. I'm fairly certain. No, wait, those are my dogs. <laughs> so I think as as Drew goes and tries to silence the dogs, we may have to wait a minute because our last topic is going to be spring football, and Drew is the only soul brave enough to have the expertise to talk about Purdue spring football while the rest of us have, have been dwelling on basketball and and looking toward next year. He's actually been doing research and reading about the team for next year. So when he gets back from uh, corralling the dogs, I think we'll let him go into his spring football hot takes for the, the last couple minutes here. Is he ever going to come back or are we just going to, Hold on, hold on, hold on. They're almost, uh, they're barking at the, they're barking at the neighbors. All right. So on our, on our final topic for this podcast, we're going to pass it over to Drew uh, because he is the only brave soul to actually study up on Purdue football and Purdue football recruiting. Um, The rest of us don't have the stomach for it. So we're going to pass it over to Drew. We know it's mostly spring football season. 
Um, it's no longer Purdue basketball season. So let's see what Drew has to say, uh, and we'll try not to get too sad for you. So, Drew, what do you got? I'm going to talk about the 2017 recruiting class from the state of Indi- or basically the players available in the state of Indiana and why it's so hard to win at Purdue and even why it's pretty hard to win in Indiana right now. Um, so I'm looking at the, the uh, 2017 uh, composite recruiting rankings um, for the state of Indiana for 2017. And Indiana has... An entire state has one five-star player, what? Hunter Johnson from uh, Brownsburg. Is um, he going to Ohio State or Michigan? He is going to Clemson. What? He was a former Tennessee uh, commit, and uh, Clemson uh, flipped him on over to uh, their side and took most of his friends with him. And we've got one five-star player in the state going neither, uh, and he's obviously not going to either sort of public state institution. He's headed down to uh, South Carolina to play football. And you've got only one composite four-star player in the entire state this year. And Oh my he, gosh, that's depressing. <laughs> yeah, Pete, uh, Pete Werner from uh, Cathedral, uh, Mount Vernon. And Is he's he related uh, to Jason Werner? See, I didn't know. I saw that name, but, you know, those sort of Germany names in Indiana, probably. Oh, God, not again. <laughs> you mean hey, I'm a Schneider, okay? I'm related to half of southern Indiana. But he's going to Notre Dame, and then you just sort of got a grab bag Whoa. of three And then you've got a, a, a grab bag of three-star players that Purdue and Indiana and several other you know big Ten schools are kind of squabbling over there's not that depth of good talent where oh we signed the sixth best player in the state but he's a four you know he's a four-star guy it's if you're missing out on the top you know one two, two three or four you're there's not a lot a lot left not saying there aren't talented kids in the state but you know they're just playing basketball yeah, <laughs> the elite football players are tough to come by, and the ones that do exist in the state um, are usually sort of scooped up by uh, out-of-state schools or, or Notre Dame. It's sort of so. Growing up in South Carolina, that's always why our two uh, basketball teams, South Carolina and Clemson, in-state struggled because there's just not in-state talent, and the elite in-state talent that we have in South Carolina basketball goes to North Carolina. Um, so, Drew, what I'm hearing yeah. is it's not Burke's fault. It's not Hazel's fault. It's the parents' fault. They need to have better kids. <laughs> better better athletes. Better no, kids. Obvi- obviously, obviously, <laughs> that's not the excuse for why we've been so terrible. Because, I mean, even Indiana, even scheduling cupcakes and beating bad teams has managed to win six games. So, I mean, it's not the reason why we're bad but it certainly doesn't help and it makes the uh maybe the road back a little more uh, tenuous um because we do and you've seen this with hazel we've got to go on the road to recruit and we're having to go to some strange football outposts to uh go out and find some some talent the state of Indiana, this is certainly not helping us in football, especially while it's trying to sustain, you know, Notre Dame, Indiana, and Purdue. Thank God that Notre Dame can recruit nationally, so they don't take all the three-star players too. But it's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a struggle for the 2017 class, especially with the sort of state of the coaching staff right now, where all a lot of it turned over, and then what didn't turn over 
if Purdue gets off to a hot start and it looks like Hazel keeps his job, uh, I would expect there to be uh, some recruit uh, commitments coming in uh, then. Um, but I feel like this is going to be another class where everybody in the 2017 class will sort of wait and see because they don't even know who's going to be coaching Purdue next year. So any sort of early commitments aren't going to make sense, even though we're seeing a lot of teams in the Big Ten with uh multiple commitments Drew, um, you're supposed just, to be our light and i don't think i've ever <laughs> felt more depressed <laughs> the 2017 recruiting class because of one the coaching four star, situation one we have four one star. four star in the state in of the Indiana. entire state it compo- composite so that's um you know there may be uh, espn may have one or rivals may have another um, that i sort of use the composite it usually gives you a little bit better idea uh but yeah just uh one four star and a lot of offensive linemen a lot of offensive line talent in this class we shall see i think everybody's going to be playing a waiting game with purdue we obviously got uh, the all-stock kid uh to commit but he's committing more to the university i would assume than to the uh coaching staff this is where having a potential or lame duck coach really hurts uh, hurts Purdue where either he's not extended everybody kind of knows he's coaching for his job they know that it makes coaching and recruiting even that much harder yeah and this will be the second year in a row basically that the same thing has happened because there were a lot of people who thought after you know before last season started if Hazel didn't have a good year he was going to be gone those people, of course, turned out to be wrong, but that still matters to recruits. You know, you're looking at a coach who has the sort of Damocles hanging over his head, could chop his head off at any time. It, it's not easy to get recruits in that situation. So this is going to be two years in a row that Purdue's going to struggle to get football recruits for a struggling program that needs its lifeblood to be recruiting to get better. It's just a horrible, vicious cycle. Is there a state that Hazel should be focusing on outside of Indiana? I mean, Danny Hope was big on recruiting people out of Florida. Like, should Hazel be looking next door in Ohio? They tend to have good recruits. Like, I mean, obviously the four stars from there are going to go to Ohio State, Michigan to Michigan State. But is there somewhere else that Hazel should be focusing? I mean, Hazel has cast you. Whatever you say about Daryl Hazel, you can't say that the man hasn't put in some miles on the recruiting trail. He is. We spent a lot of time in Georgia. We've pulled some pretty good players out of Georgia. He has gone into Ohio for guys like Marcus Bailey and Richard Worship. Illinois is a state that we haven't really hit, but and we've sort of been struggling uh, with. We occasionally pull a kid. Uh, I think Johnny Daniels is out of Chicago, um, well, out of that area. But we don't really see a lot of kids from Illinois anymore, so it would be nice. And we used to pick up kids from Michigan on occasion, too, and we haven't seen any of that. But we're out in New Mexico, California, Texas, Georgia. You know, we're obviously down in Florida. I mean, it's a it's a tough go. These guys are on the road, you know, finding kids that are, are going to come to uh, Purdue. And, I mean, you've got, like, it may be even easier with some of these, like in New Mexico, where it's not like you're competing against a... Uh, you know, high-profile in-state school for talent to, to really try to find some overlooked talent. But yeah, Hazel is really, and his assistants are really going. We've got a fairly nationwide squad assembled. Good enough. Well, that was third. That was thoroughly depressing. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> Why did we finish with this? I don't know. We we really should have started here. Although, 
maybe if we would have started with football, everyone would have stopped listening immediately. So. Yeah, yeah. So this That's, is the end anyway. If everybody's already given up on us, guys, um, it so. doesn't matter if people listen through the podcast. The numbers count once they start listening. I know. If that's they why we end out. It's fine. That's why we end the football. Yeah, but now I'm gonna leave here and be sad. Well, you know, I actually think that this year's team is going to be better than people expect. Okay, um, there's a little optimism. All right. I have, I have more optimism. I think that our defensive line with uh, our new old defensive line coach, whose name is escaping me at the moment, I think our defensive ends are going to be better. It starts um, with an H, doesn't it? No, it's like Randy Melvin, I think. Oh. Yes. I That's think an line, ancient German. I think I think our front our front six or seven, whatever we decide to play, uh, is going to be significantly better this year. I mean, our linebackers were supposed to be the strength of our team last year, except they were all. I mean, we ended up with what top three linebackers, basically either out or Jimmy Herman on half a leg hopping around on the field. You know, linebackers would be better. I think our scheme in the secondary won't be so terribly passive and frustrating to the point where I'm breaking things. I will have a good run game, and uh, I like where we're at quarterback and receiver, so I think we're going to be better. I'm going to say we're going to be good, but I, there's a, I feel like there's probably a couple steps before we get to good from where we are right now. Good job um, walking us off the ledge. Yeah, <laughs> so... Uh, we will be better, and I think we will be in contention. We'll be around that five or six win uh, magic number this year with some with our little easier schedule and hopefully a little better play. That was a little less depressing, so that's good. Um, you at least you ended on a positive note, so that'll that's kind of nice. And if Purdue um, can win some games early, the recruiting could pick up. For yeah, the state that sucks. Well, I he mean, can go to other states. He's got, you know, he'll have some cat. He has a cachet, you know. He'll be like, look at me. I'm turning the program around. And he'll go to Ohio or wherever. New Mexico, apparently. Yeah, um, we got a couple kids. Arizona. How many four-star kids does New Mexico have? Hardly hardly any either. So, I mean, it's not like we're competing for four-star kids in New Mexico. But I think there's probably some more overlooked kids. The problem when you get into when you're recruiting like Florida and Georgia is these kids have been evaluated and evaluated and everybody's seen them. So like you remember when Hope used to say, like, oh, a two-star kid from Florida is like a three-star kid or whatever. That's not the case. I mean, these kids have been evaluated and been all the camp. So getting out into some of the more football outpost areas, uh, I mean, we got that Mendez uh, guy around deep south uh, Texas where there's, you know, not a lot of kids coming out. And uh, I think we went to Arizona, which um, has some pockets of football, but we got Hawthorne out of Arizona. And we have, you know, getting a kid out of New Mexico and Grant Hermans. And um, so we're sort of all over the place, but, we may be able to find a little more diamond in the rough, true diamond in the rough talent out west as opposed to in Florida where everybody's been scouted a hundred times already. All right. So just a reminder, um, I believe um, our tentative plan is to do uh, another podcast next week, previewing the spring game or at least talking a little more football. Football. We, that, yeah, exactly. Uh, because the spring game is going to be uh, April 16th. So two weeks from uh this last Saturday, um, and there we you get a better idea of next podcast. Okay, or see, our other plan is Casey and I are just going to rant at one another, um, <sighs> and, and it'll we should do a poll. 
Yeah, it'll eventually wind up being one or the other. So either way, you know, continue to follow us, rate us, like us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, WhatsApp, everywhere else. I don't even know what else is out there. I'm pretty um, and we're not on we're, we're not, not on WhatsApp. So No, no, I haven't signed us up for that. I well. wouldn't. It's Pod- Podcast Nation? Are we on Podcast Nation? Not that I know of. We are Podcast Nation, Drew. I, I gotta figure out what, what my wife listens to us on. Or actually, I think she just it, downloads them. I don't think she actually listens. Right. Well, it, iTunes is the one all we care about. Too. You don't have to listen. Yeah, <laughs> iTunes and Stitcher are the two biggest ones out there. I mean, Stitcher is just the alternative for those of you who are on Android and don't have an iPhone. So, right. so all of the poor people. That's right. So I think no, uh, I have an Android. Me too. I think that'll do it uh, for us for today. Went a little long on this one, but we got a lot of rants in, and I'm sure Juan will uh, cut it down a little bit. What with the dog barking yeah. and all that. So I mean, um, at this point, people aren't listening anymore because they heard Drew start talking about football. It's like, oh, time to turn it off. Yeah, flick <laughs> it off. We want to thank you for listening and have a beautiful rest of your day. You know, get out there, go on your run. Uh, do whatever you're doing when you listen to our podcast. Make yeah, didn't the day you run, great. like 11 miles today? I did. I did. It was fantastic. Folks, just a disclaimer. Uh, Ledman, no is in, Ledman, no. Ledman is in Washington, D.C. and did not experience the snow that most of the Midwest had yesterday. So he's, I did not. It is 77 and clear and uh, hard right now. So, But don't worry, folks. This is just typical April weather here in the Midwest. To have snow one day, 60 the next. I mean, what else would you expect? And, and that is true weather, man. Thanks that, for that weather and, update. Now back to sports. And that is your weather on the wands. There you go. <laughs> That's the end. We're done. Just close it down. Good night.